listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. On July 1st at 5.05 p.m. Pacific, Clutch Sports released a one-sentence statement. The management company got right to the point. One of the best basketball players of all time, LeBron James, had inked a four-year deal with the Los Angeles Lakers, the team he'd be joining for his 16th NBA season. Will the four-time MVP and three-time champion be able to end the Lakers' five-season playoff drought? It seems likely. A James-led team has made the playoffs 14 straight years, including each of the last eight in which he's taken his squad, Miami or Cleveland, to the NBA Finals. Although the Lakers are coming off a 35-win season in a talent-loaded Western Conference, the team boasts a plethora of young and talented players and figures to go into next offseason with a good deal of cap flexibility. I'm Aaron Fishman. Thanks for joining us today. For this episode, we have two terrific guests. To help illuminate what we can expect from the Lake Show this season, Harrison Fagan is with us. He's the editor-in-chief of Silver Screen and Roll, SB Nation's Los Angeles Lakers site. Harrison is admittedly one of the most injury-prone people we'll ever meet. Case in point, Not too long ago, he bruised a rib during a media scrum. Ex-named reporter from Y Media Outlet, you know who you are, and a simple sorry will do. Harrison is also known affectionately among the Lakers and basketball Twitter community for his long neck. Whenever he posts a photo of himself these days, within essentially a 24-hour period, he can count on getting the photo back with his face photoshopped onto a giraffe's body. He has fun with it and doesn't mind one bit if you'd like to take part in the game next time. A little later, Eric Pincus will help us delve into the Lakers situation from a cap perspective, and who better than Eric to take us through those details. Eric is a capologist for Basketball Insiders and NBA TV. He's also a Lakers writer for Bleacher Report, co-host of the Hollywood Hoops podcast, and a man fairly good with Rubik's Cubes. Typically, he can solve one in about two minutes. Two of his three daughters dabble with the cube as well, and maybe the third daughter will feel obligated to after listening to this podcast. Without further ado, there was so much already ado, I feel the need to bring Harrison on. But before I do that, don't forget to stay tuned for Mr. Pincus after the break. Harrison, I'm a little worried that the Lakers offseason was uneventful and that we're not going to have that much to talk to you about. But regardless, we're really excited to bring you on today. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it was a really boring July. I definitely got like tons of sleep. Like like doctors were telling me, Harrison, you're getting too much sleep. It's dangerous. <laughs> I definitely wasn't writing like 20 articles in like a 48 hour period on LeBron stuff. And it was really just relaxing. It's been nice to refresh after uh, after the season. <laughs> Sarcasm aside, it's such an exciting time right now to be talking about the Lakers They've had some down seasons, but of course, LeBron James landed with the Lakers. 
this offseason, most people would agree. I'm not sure who wouldn't that he's the most dominant player right now in today's NBA and one of the most dominant ever. So it's going to be a lot of fun seeing how he gels with this Lakers squad and what they do this season. But the first thing I wanted to ask you was the quirky cast of characters around him. The Lakers have been made fun of to a certain extent this offseason. I guess they're always kind of an easy target around the league, but it's been interesting. They've added Rajon Rondo, Michael Beasley, Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee. Before we talk about the on-court dynamics and the chemistry and how to integrate those guys, just tell me a little bit about the personalities that they're adding and what your thoughts are on that. Well, so I think the first thought that came to mind when I started to see the names trickle down of who they were signing was like, wow, we are not going to lack for stories to cover this year. Because, I mean, we sold on Silver Screen and Roll meme team 2018 t-shirts. Like, this is going to be a team that is from day one, at the very least, even if they aren't good right off the bat, they'll be instantly memeable. We're going to get moments like, you know, you have Lance, who like was blowing in LeBron's ears a couple of years ago during playoff games. You have Beasley, who is massaged another guy's leg on the bench among all kinds of other crazy things. JaVale McGee is always good for a highlight or low light or two, depending on how you're looking at things. And then they're all like kind of interesting guys. And they all have, like you said, like quirky personalities and just different outsized personalities in different ways. It's not all in the same way, but it's going to be an interesting team to cover from a media perspective. And then I think to follow along with as a fan, whether you're a Lakers fan or not, because if you're a Lakers fan, then you're going to get like funny moments from these guys you're going to get the great basketball that comes with signing LeBron and then if you're not a Lakers fan you're going to get all of the you know you're going to get the dumb things that they say or you're going to get the joke moments or you're going to get you know the first time that JaVale McGee tries to dunk from three steps too far back or something like that there's going to be a lot of opportunity to both laugh at and laugh with this team and so I think that that is probably just for NBA fans as a whole the most interesting thing about them outside of signing LeBron this summer which obviously is pretty interesting in and of itself yeah I think it's fascinating there's so many backstories about these guys that they added of course as you mentioned Stevenson with the Pacers he had all of these exciting I should say memorable moments against LeBron James in the Eastern Conference Finals, blowing it into his ear. And just this competitive rivalry, same with Rondo, minus the blowing in the ear with LeBron, just with the Celtics and Cavaliers. Rondo had that moment where he jumped into the Cavaliers huddle. I think it was was either a Cavs or Heat huddle. I don't remember what year it was. LeBron was having to like shoo him out of there. Like I remember that. Yeah, no, he was walking into a huddle during a timeout and just trying to listen in to what they were talking about. LeBron was like (laughs) pushing him out and telling him to go away. And Rondo just kept trying to sneak into a different part of it. You should look up the clip on YouTube. It's actually really funny. Yeah, they have a lot of guys that it almost comes across as LeBron was like, these were guys that were willing to go at me, even JaVale McGee. McGee, who like crazy competitor is not the first word that you think of when JaVale McGee comes <laughs> but JaVale like he battled against LeBron on switches against him in the yeah. finals the last two years it's not like he got the better of LeBron but LeBron probably at least respected the amount of fight he showed in him making things difficult on him and so I don't think it's an accident that all these signings came in succession right after LeBron agreed to sign on the dotted line I think they probably talked about in generalities players who he would like to play with and I think a common theme was probably guys who you know, for lack of a better term, like if you're ballsy enough enough to go up against me, I want you kind of on the front lines with me when we get into the playoffs. I think that he absolutely 
wants to see if Lance can go Draymond Green into a technical for blowing in his ear during the playoffs or something like that. Like <laughs> He wants those irritants because I think those are the guys that he knows he can go to battle with and aren't going to back down from a challenge. I think that's a terrific point. I would say even though their personalities across the board are all different in, in meaningful ways, there's a common thread among them, and that's this competitive streak. I know, as you were alluding to, JaVale McGee, has a reputation sometimes of being a little bit lackadaisical. But when he flips it on, he's as competitive as anyone. And I also think sometimes that's misattributed from like conditioning. Like he has asthma. So like he can only be out on the floor so long. And when you get tired, you do start to make absent-minded mistakes. And I think how much of our and the general opinion of JaVale McGee is shaped by the fact that he was basically a human target for Shaq for whatever. Shaq's in the fool fool for so long. Mm -hmm. And JaVale, like when you listen to interviews with him, he's a thoughtful kind of introspective guy. Like, I think JaVale kind of gets a bad rap from a lot of fans. And it's not really their fault. Like, a lot of this is how we as the media shape these guys' narratives. JaVale, obviously, not through any of us, but through, like, much bigger platforms, was mocked for a long time and became a joke and a meme from Mm -hmm. Shaq and a Fool and things like that. And so, you know, some of that's his fault. You know, he's made some kind of brain-dead decisions on the basketball court at times. But I also think that he gets a bad rap in some ways. So we're going to get to the young talent that was already on this roster in just a second. But first, I wanted to touch a little bit more on these additions that are being talked about a lot from an on-court perspective. So the Lakers, as you know, were second to last in three-point percentage last year and middle of the pack in attempts. Traditionally, we've seen teams add really good outside shooting around LeBron James And just talking about the players that were added, they're not really known as perimeter shooters. I'd love to hear how you think that these guys complement LeBron James and the existing roster on the court and also what the challenges may be in adding some of that. So if you listen to the Lakers, their mindset is almost like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. The last couple of years, the Cavaliers tried to surround LeBron with shooters. And every single time they ran up against Golden State, especially since they added Durant, these last two years, they've gotten steamrolled more times than not. And so I think the Lakers took the mindset. I mean, again, if you listen to them of. We need playmakers around LeBron to ease his playmaking burden and make things easier on him. And we're going to have a bunch of creators that kind of nullify the ability to switch a little bit on these guys. Because like if you switch, we have other guys that can go and make plays and things like that. These guys aren't solely of use through their shooting. I think in actuality... I mean, at least a little bit of it is how many knockdown shooters were available on the market that aren't like deeply flawed in other ways. And so Mm -hmm. I think some of it is just the lack of availability. And so why try and shoehorn a guy into a role who doesn't really work? Just try and zag when everybody else is zigging a little bit. And so I think some of it is that. And then I also think that there's been like a lot of criticism of these moves in terms of the Lakers don't have shooters. Oh my God, like this isn't the eighties. Like they aren't going to be able to run a functional NBA offense. I think some of that is as humans, I think we're prone to recency bias a lot. And we look at what teams have done lately. And so the names coming across the headlines this summer have been JaVale McGee, Rajon Rondo, Michael Beasley, Lance Stevenson, but less talked about are the guys that the Lakers are bringing back. Some of that is justifiable. Like the new thing is it's in the word. It's in news. Like news is the new thing. 
But I think that a lot of people have taken that as these guys are going to be the primary supporting cast around LeBron. And I just don't think that's true. I think we saw Lonzo Ball. He wasn't a great three-point shooter overall last year, but he was pretty good as a spot-up shooter. And then he was a downright good three-point shooter for, you know, there was like a 20-game stretch during the season. And maybe some of that was variance, but he was a good shooter at every level before the NBA. I think eventually he's going to figure out the NBA shot. And I think that LeBron's gravity is going to help him in terms of being able to get more spot-up attempts. Kuzma was a good three-point shooter, especially on spot-ups last year. KCP was a really good three-point shooter on spot-ups. Josh Hart, again, another guy that can really shoot it. And then the Lakers drafted two guys, Mo Wagner and Svi Mikhailuk. I don't know how much either of them are going to play, but they can both certainly shoot the ball. Even Rondo has been on spot-ups like a league average shooter. His biggest issue is that he doesn't take them. And so it allows NBA defenses to kind of help off of him anyway, because if he's not going to shoot, it doesn't matter if he's a league average shooter. And so I think that some of the concern about the three-point shooting and stuff has been overstated a little bit. I do think it's a concern. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, fake news, the Lakers are light years ahead of everyone else. Like, maybe it won't work. But I do think there are reasons to be a little bit more optimistic than I think some people have been like, we'll probably get into overall predictions later, but like the people that are predicting that they aren't going to make the playoffs, barring a significant injury to LeBron or something, that's wild to me. I I can't imagine number one, a LeBron team missing the playoffs, but I just think they were so good defensively and at other things last year. I just think a lot of people because of the West coast thing and because the Lakers weren't that great, just didn't really watch the Lakers kids a whole lot last year. And I think that they're going to surprise some people and we're going to get some tweets. The first 20 games are like, Oh my God, Brandon Ingram can really play. And like, you know, Lonzo ball is actually pretty good. I I think the criticism of the guys that they've added from the shooting perspective is a little overstated. I'm glad you brought up the Lakers existing pool of young talent that they already have. Guys like Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart really impressed a lot of people with their play last year. How have you seen them develop over the course of their careers? And do you have any worry about them getting lost in the shuffle among all the new additions and LeBron? So I think like it, it, you almost have to go guy by guy for that one. For Lonzo, I think I think Lonzo is going to be empowered by playing next to a player like LeBron. I, I made this analogy the other day, but last year he was almost like the smartest kid on a group project. And he would like come up with ideas that just other guys weren't ready for yet or weren't able to execute. He would make passes last year that guys just weren't ready for. Like he was too quick and almost like he was seeing things before his teammates were seeing it. Or he would make cuts for a backdoor lob and and just wouldn't get found. And so by playing with another guy that's just an elite, elite playmaker and has elite floor vision like LeBron, I think Lonzo's going to do pretty well. And then he's also a good defender, which can help alongside of LeBron. The only thing is the shooting. Obviously, he wasn't a good shooter last year. Like I said before, I think some of that concern is a little bit overstated with him. I think he will improve in year two, but he might not. And if he doesn't, then he isn't a seamless fit next to LeBron, certainly. But he's also like a lot of people have painted him as he's this ball dominant point guard. And when people say that, that just tells me you didn't watch Lonzo very often last year. Like he makes a lot of plays, but he doesn't have the ball in his hands for very long, if that makes sense. Like he's a very quick ball mover. He he sees the next option in the offense and he moves on to that. The guy that has people might be a little bit too high on right now is Kuzma. I think he's going to be really good, but I do wonder if he's going to have as much utility next to LeBron because so much of his utility last year was being able to go create a shot. 
And if he's not able to do that as much, he's going to have to improve defensively. Although he will get more spot up attempts and he's a good three point shooter. So maybe that helps. Josh Hart, I think, is probably the best and most seamless fit alongside LeBron of any of the young guys because he's basically a souped up three and D role player. Like he's a really, really good shooter from three point range. We even saw some like off the dribble during summer league, which who knows if that's something that translates over, if it's something that even needs to translate over this season, but he's going to be a guy that is instantly going to be able to space the floor for LeBron on offense, make a play, make a side pick and roll or something as the secondary option and on the offense. And then, you know, be one of the primary wing defenders for the team so that LeBron doesn't have to do that. So I think LeBron's going to love playing with a guy like that. Brandon Ingram, who has somehow like he keeps getting lost in the shuffle because, you know, he didn't play in summer league. He's really quiet. He's not on social media a whole lot. But, you know, there was that report a couple weeks ago that there were people that think that Ingram can be LeBron's Pippin. I don't know if that's maybe like overestimating him a little bit, but I do think that he can be a really, really good wing compliment to LeBron, especially as it looks like the Lakers are going to play him more at the four or five this season. Uh, LeBron, that is. And then I think Ingram can really like he wasn't the best out of the pick and roll last year, but he was a good scorer. He was dynamite at getting to the rim. I think like 45 percent of his shots was were at the rim last year. And he, I think he shot around 60 percent. But I'm just that's off the top of my head. So I may be slightly off on those numbers, but he was really good last year. And so I think all of these guys I get the whole LeBron came to L.A. because of Hollywood and it wasn't primarily about basketball. I I kind of buy that narrative a little bit, but I don't think the basketball was completely outside of his thought process. I think that the cap space was certainly an allure and the chance to add a superstar down the line. But the fact that he didn't demand that they trade for Kawhi Leonard right away, that tells me that the kids and what they showed last year and LeBron being someone who is like a league pass aficionado and very much knows the capabilities of the rest of the league. I don't think that that was nothing. I think he does believe in these kids. Yeah, the cover definitely wasn't bare, but just a quick follow-up on Kuzma. I know there's so much lineup flexibility and positional interchangeability nowadays, but do you think that Kuzma's minutes may see a little bit of a drop, given that Ingram and James are also there, or do you think it's possible to see all three of them on the court sometimes? I think we could see all three of them on the court. I think I think the Lakers want to see that. There was a leak like a couple weeks ago. Eric Pincus wrote up a really good article on the Lakers kind of thought process upon signing LeBron. And one of the things is they want to see their version of the Golden State like death lineup. And we're going to have to come up with a better name for it than that. Because if Golden State's the death lineup, then the Lakers would be like the stepping on a Lego lineup or the like tra- like stubbing your toe lineup type thing. Like it's not death, but it's irritated. That maybe the you know, break your arm lineup. I don't know, but we'll work on that and find something catchy for it. But get Lakers, elbowed in a media scrum lineup. Yeah, exactly maybe. that that lineup. I I think <laughs> the the Lakers they wanted to see that death lineup of LeBron with the kids, and so that would be LeBron, Kuzma, Ingram, Lonzo, and Hart. And so I think we will see some of that this year. And I think that we could see Kuzma playing alongside LeBron. But I I think maybe his minutes will decrease a little bit just because he got so many by virtue of being on a rebuilding team last year. But at the same time, for a lot of the year, he was competing with Julius Randle and Larry Nance Jr. for minutes. So it's not like there are minutes to just hand out. Kuzma is actually the guy that I'm most intrigued to watch this year because he's the guy that I have the most question marks with next to LeBron, just because he's going to have to show that he can do other things outside of just score because LeBron is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And he showed flashes of playmaking last year and he showed flashes of being able to switch on defense. Just none of it was consistent. So 
everybody shows flashes of everything when they're a young player. Like that's just statistical variance, basically. And so he's going to have to show that he can do those things consistently this year. You mentioned that you thought it was ridiculous that some people are projecting the Lakers not to make the playoffs, barring a healthy LeBron James. I completely agree. I don't see any way in which a healthy LeBron James with this squad doesn't make the playoffs. But with that said, I don't think in any way, shape, or form it would be fair to consider them a contender right off the bat just before they've integrated as a team and um, before we've really given them a chance to gel. So given that, what tier would you say of Western teams you see the Lakers as currently constructed belonging in? So I I don't think that they're as good as Houston or Golden State. I think Golden State is justifiably not going to try very hard in the regular season again, and probably even less so than last season. I still think that even coasting, they're going to have a better record than the Lakers when everything is said and done and the Western Conference seating shakes out. I think the Rockets, they're definitely losers of the summer, but I don't think they're losers in general. I think they're still going to be up there contending. I'm just not sure if they're ultimately as good of a team given the guys that they lost last year, but I still think that they'll be up there in the Western Conference. I think that outside of those two teams, you can make an argument that the Lakers are as good as or better than anyone, at least to me. I just don't see who the obviously better team out of the rest of that Western Conference morass kind of is. And, you know, you can say that maybe that means that the Lakers, if things shake out badly, they end up a bottom four seed or even like a 7-8 like seed. And I could see that. I just think that they probably will be around fourth when everything plays mm-hmm. out because I just don't know who in the West, like... I think people are still thinking from the perspective of there are no easy wins out West. And it's like, well, yeah, but the Lakers aren't an easy win either anymore. Like they're going to be a pretty good team too. And so I think that people are almost thinking of it in terms of like last year when a tough game basically meant a loss. Whereas like this year, the Lakers are going to win a lot of those games that come down to the wire. They were in a lot of games down to the wire last season. And I think that the LeBron factor is going to make a big difference down the stretch of those games. Usually I'm way more concerned with those who cover the team, what they think and what they're projecting. But this is a fan base that's accustomed to greatness and their expectations can be extremely high at times. What kinds of things are you hearing from the fan base about what to expect from this season? I think there is almost like a pushback from the fan base because because there's been so much, there's been so many just like bad, just clearly construed to rile up people hot takes about the Lakers. I understand like the Pelton thing where his model had them going like the ninth seed or whatever. Like obviously that's not construed as like he didn't intend that to make the Lakers miss the playoffs or anything. Like he even acknowledged that there might be flaws in his model, at least in evaluating this Lakers team because it penalizes people for roster turnover. And obviously when you get LeBron, that's not like you should not be penalized for that. But I think that overall, there's been people like ready to take that baton and be like, oh, the Lakers aren't like just because they signed LeBron, like he's not going to try. He's just going there for Hollywood. Like he doesn't care about winning. They aren't a real contender. I think there's been so much of that talk that Lakers fans have almost pushed back against it. There's a lot of them that are like that are reasonable about this and are like, yeah, they probably aren't a real contender next year. And that's fine. Like they're going to go into 2019 free agency and then we're going to see how things shake out there. And then they'll probably be a real contender after that if they get a guy like Kawhi or they get like even like I I know Durant is like pie in the sky, but I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility or they even they they get a Jimmy Butler, whatever. They get somebody else that's good to take that max cap slot that they're going to have. I think that's when they become a real contender. And I think there are a lot of Lakers fans 
that are very aware of that. I think that there are also ones that have taken like this bunker mentality of like, no, 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 these people are just haters and the Lakers are actually a real contender this season. And here's this like under the radar stat of how Rondo shot in over this 20 game sample size that I cherry picked from certain games of the Pelican season. And, you know, there's been some trying to like almost like outsmart the smart people a little bit of it. But I think for the most part, people are very aware that this is not a real championship contender this year, but that it's going to be a very fun team to watch all of a sudden and that it's going to be playing in far more relevant games than they have in years. And I think that there's a lot of people celebrating that on its own sake. And I think there are some that are still of the, I guess, I almost said Kobe mentality, but I can just say Mamba mentality that like every single year that you don't win a ring is a wasted year, quote unquote. But is that really true based on what like the last five years for the Lakers have been wasted years this year, watching the young core grow alongside LeBron, even if they don't win a title, I can't see that as a wasted year. Yeah, I agree with you there. And as a last question for you, Harrison, before we let you go. Vegas odds for the 2018-19 MVP opened last week with LeBron as the favorite at 10 to 3 odds. What do you think needs to happen this season in terms of LeBron's personal production and in terms of the Lakers' success for that to happen? I think LeBron, personal production wise, I think he'll probably have to do something like last season was statistically like one of the best offensive years of his career. I think we'll have to see something close to that, if not quite hitting that level, because I don't know if that level is sustainable to expect from him in year 16, although doubting LeBron is a great way to look dumb. So, you know, maybe he'll do it. Maybe he'll get even better. Who knows? Like, I I think it's like impossible to rule anything out for this guy, but that would not be my guess. So I think as long as he stays somewhere close production wise to where he was last year. And then I think we've seen how the the MVP award is voted on by the media. And we've seen how influenced the media can be by narratives. And I think the whole, like we saw a couple of years ago, Derek Rose won an MVP that he was not, he was absolutely not the best player in the league that year, but he won it because he put the Chicago Bulls back on the map. They were his hometown team. It was an unexpected story and people tend to kind of overreact in one direction to unexpected stories. And so I think if we see the Lakers end up with like, let's say, a two, three, four seed or somewhere around in that range. And LeBron plays really well. I think putting the Lakers back on the map is going to give him an extra little boost in the mind of a lot of voters that probably have voting fatigue with Steph Curry. And now James Harden has won his MVP and Russell Westbrook isn't going to win another one. You know, maybe Anthony Davis gets the benefit of that fatigue. But I also think there will be people arguing that, hey, LeBron, I forget how many MVPs LeBron has offhand, but there are going to be people saying like, shouldn't this guy have more than like X amount of MVPs? Shouldn't we give him one? And so I think that there's going to be a lot of storyline angles and reasons that could end up pushing him towards that. But I also think that on some level, Vegas is just trying to take advantage of excited Lakers fans. There will definitely be a lot to follow this season and hopefully it'll be good for you and your site. Thanks a lot again, Harrison, for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. No, thank you for having me on. And Lauren, I actually have to say, I told my mom that I was going on a podcast with a two-time Jeopardy winner. I'm not kidding, before I went on here. (laughs) And she was more excited than when I've told her I've talked to like Lonzo Baller that I'm going to talk to LeBron James at some point this season. So the pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me on. Now that I no longer have a daily podcast, it's always fun to like jump on someone else's and just talk about the Lakers. I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness <laughs> with both of you guys. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, I'll talk to her about you, Aaron. Like, just send me a list of like your top three greatest achievements, and I'll go get my mom to say that she's proud of you, too. I'll work on that. Thank you. <laughs> 
Stay tuned, we'll be right back with more show. I'm Duncan Smith, and you're listening to On the NBA Beat Podcast. It's really good to have you on, Eric. This is going to be pretty brief, so let's just jump right in. First, I wanted to start with the key decisions the Lakers Brain Trust had to make this offseason. And just from a cap perspective, how those decisions are playing out right now and also with regard to long-term flexibility. Well, once they got the yes from LeBron and didn't get an audition with uh, Paul George, I think it was pretty clear right off the bat that they were going to go and sign players to one-year deals. So very quickly, we heard about Rondo. We heard about KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. It uh, wasn't long for Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee. And it was very quickly cl- clear what their strategy was. Everybody's going to sign for one-year deals. Uh, they, they, Of course, they signed some of their rookies like you know Mo Wagner, the first-round pick, longer deals, Isaac Bunga, uh, Svi Mikhailuk, et cetera. But really, those are very low deals and not all guaranteed. So it was very clear that they are prioritizing next summer as their next opportunity to spend. And we'll see if they are successful. But I would say going in with LeBron James, you've got a pretty good recruiter on your team. And I think there are there are more high-quality, top-level free agents available next summer than there were this summer. Outside of Paul George and, I mean, really, once KD resigned and... Chris Paul resigned. There were, it wasn't really a great summer for free agency. DeMarcus Cousins was probably the next best guy. And we all saw everyone was afraid to give him big money based on that torn Achilles. Yeah, you wrote in a column that came out for Bleacher Report on the 4th of July about patience and how with LeBron James committing to four years, technically three years with that fourth-year player option, that the Lakers now can afford to be a little bit more patient. We saw that with how they handled the Kawhi Leonard potential trade, opting instead to keep their young talent as opposed to trying to get Leonard right now. They seem to be confident, at least that they'll have a chance of getting Kawhi Leonard. We saw what happened with Paul George where they waited for him and he decided to stay with Oklahoma City. But Talk a little bit about that patient approach that you alluded to in your first answer. The question is, on paper, we only have ideas of who Lonzo Ball is and Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma and these young guys are, who they are next to LeBron James. Some people will look at it and say, they're too young, they're not going to be able to help him. And others will say, these are some of the best young players in the league as far as just breaking into the league, haven't established themselves yet. Really, we don't know. I mean, it's just flat out. The Lakers don't know. No one knows who those players are yet playing alongside someone like LeBron. So that the patience angle, what's the rush, right? You could say, well, you can go get Kawhi now before he was traded uh, to the Raptors and, and give up some of those young players. But what if Brandon Ingram is exactly the right player to play alongside LeBron James? What if he is a very special player in that context? Uh, we don't we don't know. And you could say very easily, no, he's not. Uh, and that he's not ready. And maybe does he's not a good enough shooter. All the things that you might want to say. But the reality is we just don't know. So the Lakers are going to audition. They've got uh, at least training camp and the start of the season. And you have till the February trade deadline. And they can make some decisions, and then you can get to the draft next year and make some trades then if you need to. 
uh, and make some decisions then. So why rush into something when you technically could, if you're the Lakers, have Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Kuzma and LeBron James and then just sign Kawhi Leonard outright? Why give them up? What's the rush that you need to just go all in right now? Are you going to be good enough to beat the Warriors and be better not just than the Warriors this year, but be a better team over the next five years or even if you just limit it to the four years that LeBron's under contract, uh, assuming he opts in? There's just no reason to rush that decision just because maybe you don't get Kawhi next year. But there's a long list of players from... Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson with the Warriors, uh, Kyrie Irving, who obviously doesn't have the best relationship with LeBron, but you never know. It's a strange world. Uh, there are a lot of good players out there, uh, some that we're forgetting, Jimmy Butler. Now, there are also a lot of teams that have money to spend, so there's more competition next yeah. summer, but equally, you're the Lakers, you have Los Angeles to offer, you've got Magic Johnson in the front office, and you've got LeBron James on the court. And they could trade those young players in a year if if they don't pass the audition. So uh, if there's if there's a way to get a star and trade for another star, they might be able to go the veteran route. It's just there's no rush to do it right now when there's so many opportunities in a year's time. And it was very clear, like I said, the moment they signed LeBron, it was very quickly we knew exactly who who else they were signing and for how long. And it was it, their plan of action was very clear. Yeah, I think the point you raised about gathering more information about these young players this season with LeBron James was a really good one. The Lakers clearly want to take that next step and make the playoffs, and I'd be surprised if they didn't make the playoffs. But by the same token, most would agree that they're far from being a contender as currently constructed. And they may learn valuable information, likely will, about which guys they want to retain. I'm talking about the young talent um, and and which guys they want to move away from. But on that note, what kind of flexibility will the Lakers have next season as far as landing a second max player if they're able to do that? You talked about all the potential guys that are out there. And if they can do that, what kind of supporting cast can they build around that from a financial perspective? Well, they can basically keep their kids, keep LeBron, and they would have to find a way out of Luol Deng. But you'd probably lose guys like Caldwell Pope and uh, Rondo, etc. And then they would have enough money if they tr- either trade Luol Deng or stretch out his contract over three years at that point. They would have enough money. So it would be just it, it would not be a, a complex juncture. It would just be go out there get your get your guy uh, and keep the kids. So as far as depth, they're counting on the depth being Josh Hart and uh, Mikhailuk and Wagner, the young guys developing. And I think I don't know if they're when you say you're, not a lot of people would say they're a contender. I, I still have the Lakers winning over fifty games this year. I think they win a lot of games. Uh, whether or not they're a true contender when it comes to beating the Warriors, I maybe not. But equally, they do have LeBron James, and so I'm not going to yeah. count them out. Uh, I meant like a championship contender, sure. but I don't think a top four seed is out of the realm of possibility in, in any way, shape, or form. Sure. I, I think top four is reasonable. Uh, I would put the Rockets and the Warriors ahead. Uh, we could debate the Jazz and a few other teams. 
but I'm not sold that any of those other teams, the Thunder maybe, maybe if the Thunder and the Jazz, maybe the Lakers drop down to five. Like to me, that's kind of, and I, that's a possibility. You could argue the Nuggets, and I don't have a lot of faith in the Wolves and the Pelicans. There are a lot of teams out there that I don't have faith in. Uh, just like a lot of people don't have faith in the Lakers. That's fine. I, I just, I look at teams and I say, yeah, they're good, but maybe they're being overrated. Uh, and maybe I'm overrating LeBron James, but history says I'm not. Uh, as far as next year, it, it's really not a complicated thing. The Lakers don't have room for more than one guy. So when you ask about the depth, it becomes signing guys back at minimum contracts. Uh, they would have about under $5 million to spend as a room exception. And then there's always the possibility of making a trade for one of these players uh, and not going under the cap at all. Uh, we'll have to see if how that all works. But if, if you're looking at the trade deadline and one of these players might become available, maybe the Lakers are willing to trade one of their young pieces and, and an expiring contract or trade some draft picks. There's always the possibility of going about it another way uh, so that you can keep those veterans as well. I wouldn't put that beyond the Lakers. I don't think it's likely, uh, but there's... If you could trade for one of those players that we're talking about, instead of signing them, you might be able to keep a better team. But that's that's a, it's, it's way too early at this point. I don't think we're going to get into those kind of conversations until we get closer to February. And then even possibly a sign-in trade in, in July is, is not out of the question, just something that should be at least considered or at least noted. Yeah, we're hypothesizing really early, way before they're going to be making trades most likely. And a full year pretty much before that next off season that I was talking about. But just to clarify that I'm understanding correctly. So hypothetically, if they add that second max guy, they won't really have that much room to spend. So it would just be keeping their young town if they prove worthy of that or enticing another team to take some of those young players in exchange for, veterans who could help out or whatever they want to get back to fill out that roster yeah it's 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 a challenge when it comes to comes down to just adding 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 you you only have so much room now some could take less money but if you're going after a a kevin durant or a clay thompson or whomever jimmy butler those guys are going to want to be paid and they're going to want to be paid a lot of money so the lakers aren't going to be in a position to just keep everyone but there's a, I think, a reasonably high chance that Jimmy Butler is traded before the deadline. Uh, if if they feel like that relationship isn't going to work and that he's not going to resign, and then it becomes a question of uh, the Lakers aren't going to give up a lot, f- just like we talked about with Kawhi, right? Because why do it when you can just fine if Jimmy's available in trade? Why not wait until the summer and sign him outright? Uh, but there are advantages to getting that player via trade uh, because then you don't have to go under the cap at all if that's your second max guy. So there are pros and cons to different, there are different ways. And I don't think the Lakers are going in saying this is exactly what we're going to do. They're going in with ideas of what they'll do, but they don't have the opportunities yet. They want to see what they have. And really, we don't get into big opportunities. That opportunity time comes around January when teams start to say, okay, we're not that good. Let's tank. Or maybe we're this close and we just need one more piece. So, uh, or let's start planning for next year. And that happens around January through July through early part of February with the deadline. So those opportunities may or may not come for the Lakers, but uh, we're, we're not even at that point yet. I believe it was earlier Thursday, the day we're doing the interview, that Paul George said that the Lakers were pissed off that they didn't even get an opportunity to meet with him before he decided to re-sign with Oklahoma City. In light of that, 
I'd love to hear your impression of the Lakers' stature around the league as a franchise. Obviously, in recent years, it's taken a little bit of a hit as the team has struggled mightily and, and kept missing the playoffs. But, of course, they do have a guy named LeBron James on their roster. Magic Johnson, a Lakers legend, is part of the front office. And so it seems like the reputation may be on the mend. What's your analysis of that? Well, when they had that internal struggle where the front office was divided with Jim Buss and Jeannie Buss, uh, and Kobe was at the end of his career, so who wants to go play with a guy who's not going to be there for the next 5, 10 years? A guy you're probably not going to win with at this point in his career. It, it just wasn't a, a good place to be, to be part of the Kobe farewell tour and play for a team where the front office basically won't even speak to each other. That's just not a... It's not an attractive environment. Well, Jeannie solved that problem. She ended the dispute with her and her brother by taking her brother out of his position. They put in Magic Johnson, who's really well-liked by uh, players around the league. He's a legend. And I know a lot of the players in today's game were, aren't old enough to have seen Magic play. Uh, but I, I think he's still like a legendary figure. Uh, I've seen the way that players look at him and the way they talk to him. Uh, from opposing teams just saying hello and and magic's bigger than life so you add all these items together and now you have lebron james lakers are in a very good position uh it would be better for them if their young players also produce this year so it looks like that they're you know that they're more of a contender but regardless they have lebron you have magic you don't have that front office noise you still have the city of los angeles which is a huge draw uh, and they had cap room. They have some more cap room this summer, potentially. So uh, I think they're in a very strong position, uh, especially uh, in the West where, yeah, there's a lot of competition, but I think they they are positioned well among the top teams. The Rockets are what they are. The Thunder are what they are. The Warriors are what they are. They don't have any money. Uh, they're going to be what they are. They, they can improve around the margins and maybe make some trades to improve, but they're kind of what they are, whereas... Lakers still have a big step to take, and I don't think they're that far right now from those teams. I don't think they're on the same level exactly, but they're not that far. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I just want to end on one open-ended question. I'd love to hear, you t- You did touch on your general expectations for the Lakers if they stay healthy, but to what extent do you think the lack of shooting around LeBron James that a lot of people have been worrying about is a legitimate concern? And then on the other side of the coin, what are the things that some analysts may be overlooking about how talented this season's team could be? Well, I don't know how many people actually watched the Lakers closely last year or the last few years because they weren't very good. To say that someone like Brandon Ingram isn't isn't something ready, maybe not. Maybe he's not ready to play with LeBron at the level that he needs to be. Maybe he's not a good enough shooter, but if you saw his improvement from year one to year two and saw it up close, because I've been covering every game, so I know how much better he was from year one to year two, and if he makes another jump, then maybe people who di- who just aren't aware of that kind of leap that he made, uh, they may be missing out on something. Uh, if you didn't watch Lonzo Ball closely, you don't know what he did on the court last year, which was actually very impressive. Uh, was one of the best defenders at his position, which was surprising to me. Didn't expect him to be that good uh, on defense, especially in a, in the team setting. Uh, he's an incredible rebounder for his position. Uh, he was he put up great numbers. He put up 
basically better numbers than Malcolm Brogdon did the year before, and Malcolm Brogdon was uh, rookie of the year. So I don't know where the Lakers are going to be this year as far as the end result. Like I said, it's it's really audition time. But I think there's a great opportunity for these young players. I think Josh Hart's a really good player. Kyle Kuzma's a lot of fun. I think a lot of people are excited about him. These are good players, and I think that it's overlooked because they weren't very good last year because they because they weren't. They they were young players, and they didn't have that veteran leadership. Uh, as far as outside shooting, yeah, the Lakers don't have great shooting, uh, but they've got solid shooting. I think they'll be okay. I don't, I don't know how many great shooters there were this summer that were even available. Wayne Ellington and who else? Like maybe a couple others if we think long and hard. There really weren't a lot of shooters. But I think that they'll make up for it with a lot of ball handlers, a lot of playmakers on the floor at the same time. Uh, and there's so much gravity towards LeBron that uh, I, I think the, the the looks that these young guys will get will be the best looks they've ever gotten in their, their young careers. And so they'll be able to hit down wide open looks at a higher clip because they've never been this open before. So I'm very curious to see. I, I really look forward to seeing how the Lakers play this year. I think a lot of t- people are uh, fans of the Lakers are, I think, uh, haters of the Lakers, fan, you know, fans of other teams are excited to see them fail uh, because they believe they'll fail. And uh, I'm excited either way to see what happens. I just want to see how this experiment works. Yeah, me too. And while a lot of the new additions aren't known for being good three-point shooters, a lot of the young guys you mentioned did shoot high percentages from three. They just didn't really attempt that many. And so to your point, they should be getting more looks, more open looks. Now, especially, there's even more reason to follow the Lakers and your reporting. So we're going to continue to do that. And we hope more people pay attention to this exciting season. We're about to see what happens with LeBron and company. Thanks again, Eric. Anytime. Thanks for having me.